we've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And there's not a single of us listeners today who hasn't been in a brainstorming session sometime in our life and our careers. And you get this whiteboard full of ideas, you get you paper the walls with the flip charts, and then you say, how do I know which ideas are good and which ideas are bad? All we did was create a list of ideas. We're going to talk about how to look for those consequential ideas with our guest today, Robin Landa. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. It's going to be a great conversation. After even almost 225 interviews, Robin, to talking about creative practice, how we do the work is often as important as the work we're actually doing. And I love talking to people like you who actually have frameworks and method and techniques that can be taught. I think a lot of people have this fallacy that creativity is somehow something you're born with and you can't learn it. Tell us about your experience with that, especially since you stand in front of the classroom so much to teach creativity. That, that's a really great point. It's a misconception that creativity can't be taught and that you can't teach people to generate great ideas. I do teach people on a daily basis and I've taught literally thousands of people to generate worthwhile ideas daily because the people that I teach and the people that I work with when I consult are in advertising, branding and design. And in those creative professions, you don't come up with an idea a month, you come up with 10 ideas a day. And they really have to be creative and they have to be strategically creative. And so I've learned what the pitfalls are and I've seen people struggle. And so I codified my method. That's good. Robin is the author of a great new book called The Art of Ideas, Unlock Your Creative Potential. Of course, I love the unlock word as much as you do, Robin. But this new art of ideas is really calling it the first new idea generation technique since brainstorming. That's a bold claim. Tell us about how this goes beyond simple brainstorming. In a brainstorming session, Alex Osborne introduced brainstorming mid 20th century. And Alex Osborne is the O in BDO, the ad agency. Yes. And as a creative professional, he came up with this method of people in a group. His original concept was that it would be a group, a team effort of people having a topic and then throwing out ideas, as you said in your opening. Of course, what people don't realize is that most people who are already in the advertising profession are trained creatively. And so this isn't that difficult for them, but then give it to people who aren't trained that way or who don't naturally think in a creative way. And brainstorming is a kind of black box because you're supposed to toss out either partially formed ideas or wholly formed ideas, but how do you form the idea? That's the black box. 
And that's where people get very frustrated. And I've seen it in the classroom and I've seen it in the industry. The other method that a lot of people use is a five-step process where you do your research and then you let it incubate. And it's during that incubation period where the idea is supposed to pop out of your head. Again, how? How do you form that idea? Yes, once you do your research and you think about it and let it sit with you for a while, it might come to you, but having a method of how to have it come to you is much more helpful. And then there's another way, which is I do use in the classroom and it is a brilliant way, which is combinatorial thinking, which is taking two existing ideas or two existing things and combining them into a new whole. And of course, an age old process, Einstein, Steve Jobs, Mark Twain, great thinkers use that. But if that's the only method you have, then you're limiting yourself. Yes, it is one of my favorites and it is fun. But you're right. It only gives you so much. It's literally in the box between those two things, isn't it? Yeah. Tell us about this new framework, this 3G approach that you describe in your book. Thank you for asking. The three Gs are goal, gap, and gain. And they are fluid. You can start with a goal, you could start with a gap, or you could start with a gain. But you do need all three. And so most people think that a goal is an idea, but it's not. It's just the start. It's something that you want to achieve. A gap is something that's missing, something that your goal or your idea can fill. For example, a missing piece in research, an underserved group of people or under considered group of people, a method that hasn't been used or tested or retested, a new class of drug, a new process, a new system, a toxic free method. And then of course, there are so many chronic issues, issues of people who are unsheltered, human trafficking, hunger, clean water. How do we address all those things? All those things are gaps. And that could be a new consequential system is a gap. And then the way to assess that goal and that gap is whether there would be a gain. What's in it for either individuals, society, or the planet or creatures? So in my mind, if there is no benefit, then what's the point? That's uh, right. Yeah, people think about profit only, and I don't. Um, I believe in the triple bottom line: people, planet, and profit. And for me, the benefit has to be there for people, for the planet. Now, I like how you describe these three G's as not only a way maybe to come up with the ideas or to think about the gaps that need to be filled, but then somehow assess the idea. I always think about maybe in the debrief session after brainstorm, you say, oh, I really like that idea. It really feels good. Or that would be a lot of fun. The benefit is a whole different kind of a yardstick, isn't it? Yes, it absolutely is. And for me, coming, it's interesting how I came to it because in advertising, we always think about what's the benefit for the consumer, for the audience. There has to be something in it for them that makes it worthwhile, either functionally, practically, or emotionally. And so we're always thinking about the benefit. There's an old, I don't know if you're a Calvin and Hobbes fan, but <laughs> I was. And it's a cartoon about a little boy and his imaginary friend. 
and Calvin is the boy and he, the phone rings and Calvin answers the phone and the caller says, may I speak with your father? And Calvin says, he's not home. And the caller says, would you take a message? And Calvin says, what's in it for me? <laughs> <laughs> and that's really what you have to think about. What's in it for you or your uncle or creatures or the planet or the environment or sustainability or what is really a benefit? And I think that's what makes a worthwhile idea. Now, in the arts, it's not so as easy as you would think about what's the benefit of sustainable farming or a toxic-free printing process. But in the arts, there's the idea of that the arts transport us, that it's emotional, that it's intellectual. So there's always benefits in the arts as well. I don't want to make it seem like it always has to be a functional benefit. I see. And I often think about the people in a ideation session and how hierarchy or title or influence, whether they're the client or whether they're the creative director. And just you telling the BDO story, I had a chance for many years to work with the BDO organization and was in a brainstorming session once. And we went around the room, of course, to introduce each other. And a fellow says, hi, my name's John. And I get this elbow in the side and they said, that's John Osborne. He's Alex's grandson. And now everything that John said was beautiful. It was sacrosanct. It was like the best idea ever because it was John Osborne. But you must have experienced this too in a room where people say, even though we've said there's no good or bad idea, where it comes from doesn't matter. Is there that influence, that sort of bias anyway? Yes. When you're in a group, there are all kinds of pitfalls. Often what happens is the group will fall to the idea that's in the middle. That the one that everybody agrees on, or there's, or they will say yes to the leader in the room and not want to challenge the leader in the room. Groups are difficult. They're difficult for that reason. They're difficult in terms of approving and testing. But I think that if you have a way of always going back to the goal and what's the benefit of the goal, it helps assess the idea. And if you're in advertising or branding or design, you have what's, as you know, what's called a brief. And the brief lays out the strategy and the goals and the objectives. So you always go back to the brief to see if the idea is fulfilling what your, your preset goal, because that brief gives you a goal. Yes. But when you're on your own and you're an entrepreneur or you're an artist or whatever idea you want to generate, you create your own goal and it's not a preset goal. So true. Robin, I like the style of the book that also you're laying down these principles, but then you're giving lots of stories and examples. A few of them pop out, but maybe you could share one with us that along the lines of what we've been talking about, where ideas really need to be evaluated and assessed. Yes. there. I have so many favorites from the book. One is Sal Khan, who the last name might sound familiar as soon as I start telling you the story. He was in a finance job in Boston and his relative reached out because his tween niece, Nadia, wanted to go into the advanced, get onto the advanced math in school. And they thought he could tutor her long distance and so that she could get on the advanced math track. And of course, he agreed being a wonderful guy. And Nadia did great. And then other relatives reached out to Sal and friends reached out to Sal. And he realized that 
there was a gain in what he was doing in this tutoring. He had created little videos for Nadia and then he used them for everybody else so that it wasn't ephemeral. You could go back to the video and re-listen to it or relearn it. And he saw the gain. He saw the benefit in there for kids because if your listeners know, probably know that after school tutoring is very expensive. You have to really be wealthy in order to afford a private tutor. And there's no free tutoring for children after school. And so he saw that gap, right? There's no free tutoring available for kids in grades one through 12. And he set a goal of creating a resource where students and teachers could actually go and watch these videos and answer sets of questions and move on. And it's called Khan Academy and it's free. And it's, I think it's one of the most wonderful ideas as of late. And he's even advanced it further now. Now you can get live tutoring at Khan Academy. So interesting. This is a perfect example of that gap exploration, isn't it? Robin, I'm also curious, there's so much use of the term disruption. I don't know if that equates to finding a gap or not. Sometimes I think it's just that we just want to mix things up or we want to attack what's out there now. Find a place, if you could, and help us understand where this idea of disruption might be an idea generator. I think that disruption happens when you change the existing system. So if we think about Uber or Lyft, where in the past you either had to call a cab by the telephone from your home or you had to hail a taxi on the street. And because of the intersection of technology, mobile phones, technology, you could and transportation, you could now use your phone to call a driver to come get you. And it wasn't part of the usual establishment system. So that disrupted everything. Or if you think about downloadable music, disrupted the music industry. So I don't know that people set out to disrupt, but certain innovations, certain ideas do disrupt. So if let's we think about if people could manufacture their own sneakers, that would disrupt the manufacturing of sneakers. So you could always look at something that way, what would disrupt an industry? So it's innovation for the sake of innovation. But I think, again, what's the benefit? And there's a very clear benefit in, in hailing a cab using your smartphone. And then they're all different ways to to think about it. So for example, Nike for years, somebody, a couple of people at Nike were thinking about people living with disabilities who couldn't tie their shoes. People who have had strokes or people who were born with disabilities and living with them. And so they worked for a very long time on creating a shoe that you could just slip your foot into without having to tie it. And it, the way they manufactured it would just form fit to your foot. Just Today, I saw a commercial for a different brand that absolutely that, that just you don't need to tie untie or tie your shoes. You put your foot in and the heel just pops into place. And so that's going to somewhat disrupt, not entirely, but it's going to somewhat disrupt traditional manufacturing of athletic shoes or perhaps all shoes. And there's a great benefit for all the boomers who are going to become seniors soon and people who, for some reason, can't bend over and tie their shoes. So I think it depends on how you look at it. 
I see what you're saying. Well, on another topic, Robin, thinking about collaboration, you have a great illustrator that worked with you throughout the book, Holly Taylor, who's also an actress, and also uh, Lauren Lotaro, who's the choreographer and Broadway director, wrote the foreword of the book. I'm always interested in maybe how these collaborations came to be and how they formed, because maybe that would give our listeners some insight on how we can go beyond ourselves to get some contributors to our work. Thank you for asking, because th those two people are just such just unbelievable talents. And I'm very fortunate that I got to work with them. Holly Taylor, whose season of, season four of Manifest is launching, I think, this week. And there's a big spread on her and Us Weekly this week. Also. I'm really hoping to figure this show out after four seasons. <laughs> <laughs> Having well, watched it, every single episode, I still don't know what's going on. <laughs> it, it's a really great what if, right? Yes. A, what if, a what if scenario. Holly was my student at Kane huh. University. And she, when I met Holly, I said, why why don't you, why aren't you a theater major? Why aren't you an acting major? And she said, because I want to have another profession. So she's this extraordinarily talented person. She was on Broadway as a child in Billy Elliot. So she's a dancer also, and she paints. She's just terrific. And it was really wonderful to work with her and have her illustrations really augment what I was trying to say and I think that they're very striking. And I'm so pleased that she's a part of this book. Yeah, it and really gives a nice punctuation to each of the uh, chapters, doesn't it? Yeah, well said. Thank you. And Lauren, I had taken a dance class with Lauren. Lauren, I was very fortunate for the very, very short time that she was teaching. And she's she was a choreographer of Waitress, Mrs. Doubtfire, Into the Woods, Dangerous Liaisons. She choreographed for the Metropolitan Opera. And she directed Is There Still Sex in the City, among other Broadway shows. And she's a powerhouse of talent. And when I asked her to write the foreword, she immediately said yes. And when I read it, I thought, my gosh, is there anything you can't do? You're a really good writer. <laughs> so good. And so what are the lessons learned there that you could share with our listeners in terms of reaching out? maybe outside of our own creativity or our own talent, our own limitations sometimes to get these kind of contributors? It is difficult, but I once, when I was very young and starting out in my, my career, I was at um, the dean of the university. I went to see him and I said, I'd really like to invite so-and-so to come speak to, to the at the university, but this person is really esteemed and I don't think, I don't know that they would want to come. And my dean said, you won't know until you ask, will you? <laughs> I love that. So but I you, think reaching out and LinkedIn gives you a way to, to reach out to people. Certainly does. I'm also interested in this idea of demystifying creativity. That's been used to describe if we think about methods and techniques and process, all of a sudden it is in a black box. And all of a sudden, I, I think about the people who say, I'm not that creative which I would wish we could have debunked that myth a long time ago. But there's still this idea of demystifying. What do you have to say towards that? There are certain habits, or this is a better word, that very creative people do. Very creative people are very curious people. And they're not just curious about their own vertical, right? About their own discipline. So if you're an expert in engineering, 
and you investigate everything there is to know about engineering, that's great. But if you go in another direction, in a kind of a horizontal direction and think about science or thinking about literature, how would that feed your understanding of the world and your understanding of engineering? And curiosity is probably, I would say, the number one thing that you can do to really become more curious about many subjects and many things. If you think about Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote, who writes Broadway musicals and songs, when he was going on vacation after working on In the Heights for many years, he picked up a book, the biography of Alexander Hamilton, because he was curious about American history. If he weren't curious about American history, we wouldn't have one of the great modern day musicals. And he really expanded the whole genre. But his curiosity about many subjects is what fueled his thinking. The other thing is to be very, uh, is to be a good listener and to be open to ideas and possibilities. I'm not saying to listen to the rants of ignorant people, but to really listen to people and not shut down and say, that's not my thing or that's not, but just listen and think about what people are saying or think about other points of view and to get multiple perspectives, to go outside of your own group. So if we're all going back to your said, you sat at the table at the ad agency, if everybody's sitting at the table were from New Jersey, <laughs> you'd get a narrow view of the United States, right? You want to get multiple perspectives from different people, an inclusive group to get to see things through a wider lens. And you've got a number of resources, worksheets, tables, fill in the blank notes in the book. It's really a read and respond format. And I really like resource number five in the back of page 158, this overcoming emotional obstacle. Because again, as many times we've talked about in this conversation, it's our own limitations that we're trying to overcome, usually not an external Block. Give us some guidance on overcoming some of our emotional obstacles. Yes, I, I learned that. I co-run, facilitate a writing group for faculty across the country who want to write books or articles or book reviews. And when we first start out with a new group of faculty, we talk about obstacles. And I was shocked at how many people were afraid of writing. And we then we talk about when do you write? Do you write emails? Do you write lists of shopping lists? Do you write notes to your family? And so it it just I was so surprised at how certain things will stop people from becoming who they can be, from realizing their full potential. And there are internal, as you said, and external. So external obstacles could be family time, people putting demands on your time. How do you manage the time to, to generate ideas and realize your ideas? But internally, you have to decide if you're going to do it. You have to put the time aside. You have to really analyze your goals and follow your passions and a whole assortment of things that, that, that creep up where... The whole idea of, am I creative enough? Am I good enough? Will this work? Will this not work? So I think it's important to acknowledge that we have these emotional obstacles in our lives. Very Listeners, my guest is Robin Landa. She's the author of The New Art of Ideas, Unlock Your Creative Potential. 
Along, Robin, along with 25 other books, you're quite prolific in documenting your methods and providing us insights. I wanted to ask you, as we look ahead, you have a unique perspective as a professor at Kane University to see the next generation of creative thinkers and authors, writers, practitioners, musicians, poets, all of the above coming up. What is your sense of that future? What do you think the sort of passion of the next generation will be? That's a wonderful question because I love my students and I have, I hold them in the highest regard because they really have, they really know their values and they hold people accountable when they, when their values aren't upheld. I, I think that they're very concerned about the planet and they're very concerned about, uh, all kinds of social justice, social injustice, they really, their voices are raised. And I think we have to listen because they're inheriting our planet. Uh, we will be listening closely as we'll continue to read your work. Listeners, my guest is Robin Landa. You can connect with her and her work at robinlanda.com. Of course, the book is available on Amazon and wherever you get books. And be sure to connect with her on LinkedIn and Twitter, Instagram, and Goodreads. Robin, thanks for being on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. I did too, Mark. I'm honored. I'm a fan of yours. Thank you so much. Thank you. And listeners, we've stamped our creative passport in New York today, literally overlooking Broadway. Occasionally, we might have heard the honk and excitement of the uh, creative energy on Broadway, which is wonderful. And we'll continue our creative journeys all over the world. We'll stamp our passports in cities all over Europe, Asia, South America, and beyond as we continue to listen to what really makes creative inspired, how they get those ideas organized, and ultimately how they gain the confidence and the connections to launch their work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. See you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83 Bar. Look for the patient speak on your favorite podcast app.